0: Welcome to another episode of the Asking for a Friend podcast, an elder-led ministry of Believers Baptist Church in Emory, Texas. My name is Duffy Henderson, and I'll be your host. The Asking for a Friend podcast exists as a weekly resource for the edification and benefit of God's people. Here, we hope to provide helpful, thoughtful, and most importantly, biblical material as we address everyday life questions and issues. If you find this podcast helpful, please take a few moments to share it with someone that you think would also benefit from it. Thanks for listening in today, and may the Lord bless this podcast greatly to you as a means of grace for your spiritual growth and benefit. We hope that you'll enjoy today's episode. Well, today we are recording and and, uh, talking through our first episode for the month of May, and I'm here once again joined by Jason Rowland and Philip Castleton. How are you guys doing?
1: Very good. We are about to get into some episodes for the month of May 2022, That are uh, probably more cultural questions than the last episodes that we did in April of 2022, 2022, which were more doctrinal or
2: theological. Well, one of these certainly has some theological um, uh, implications. Not that everything doesn't, but uh, there's one of these. It's going to be quite theological. Interestingly enough, though, it's going to take – there's not a lot – there's very little biblical um, stuff to draw from, so it's it's more uh, implication – yeah. Right.
1: And, and what I mean by that is that we, we, because everything is theological. Sure. So then nobody's asking the question, what is the decree of God? Yeah. But people are asking, should I get a marriage license? Yeah. Or, yeah. Um, what about cremation? Yeah. And some of those. Yeah.
0: We've got some very interesting topics coming up. That are going to be uh, in the month of May, and so today, as you've probably already seen on the title of this episode, we're going to be discussing a sounds like a simple question to answer, but I think we're going to find that it's a little bit more uh, a little bit more hard to to answer than we might like to think. Um, so we're answering today: What constitutes marriage according to the Bible? And Jason, I'd love for you to get us started with this to kind of help us begin thinking through this question.
1: Well, I think that there are three ways that we can think about it, and maybe it will set up the framework for us trying to work through this episode. So the Bible nowhere explicitly states at what point God considers a man and woman to be married, explicitly states. I think there's some implications for us that we might get into the discussion, and so Since the Bible is explicitly silent on that, then what do we understand then to be at the point where a man and a woman would be married? There are three options. The first is this, that God would only consider a man and a woman married when they were um, able to obtain a government validation um, marriage license. Number two, a man and a woman were married in God's eyes when they completed some kind of formal ceremony. So they had all of the social um, um, event, they had the social event that surrounded the idea of um, covenantal promises Mm -hmm. between a man and a woman. And then the third would be Mm -hmm. that God considers a man and a woman married at the moment that they engage in sexual intercourse. So, marriage license, formal ceremony, or sexual intercourse then those three things become um the common way that we would think in culture about what constitutes a marriage. so let's break each one of those down and then start with the first one the The idea of a marriage is a marriage when you have a formal validation from the government i.e. a marriage license. How do we talk
2: about that?
0: Sure. Philip, you want to chime in there for just a minute? Sure, sure,
2: absolutely. Yeah, that's a a no-go. That's a no-go. It can't be. And the reason is, and there's multiple reasons, but a couple of them off the surface would be, um, if the government recognizes um, homosexual unions as marriage, that doesn't make it a marriage, right? Mm -hmm. So the government is not the definer nor the arbiter um, of of this union, um, the God is the one who instituted marriage the um, the civil magistrate can only recognize what God has instituted, and anything above or beyond or outside of the scope of what God has instituted is not and cannot be defined as marriage. so um, the 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 mag- civil magistrate giving or recognizing a marriage license does not equate to or or uh, offer up for someone uh marriage, second of all, if the government decided that marriage was no longer to be offered to anybody, we would just um, would we still get married? And the answer is absolutely yes because it's it's not only an institution again that was uh, created by god but it's 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 required of men and women to to be married to facilitate not only procreation but um, um this picture that of of God in his church, which is uh, represented as we see in Ephesians chapter five. So a couple of reasons why that, that first one cannot be the defining factor for whether it, uh, a marriage is uh, true or not. So then <clears throat> when we, we think
1: about marriage from Genesis all the way through Revelation and we see particular pictures of it throughout the scripture, We never see the government issuing some kind of legal license. Mm -hmm. Um, We never see, too, the government regulating marriage, uh, not only giving permission for these people to be married, but also then giving permission for that marriage to be dissolved. So we've given over a religious and spiritual institution created by God and given sanctity by God to the government Mm -hmm. to somehow regulate who gets married and when they can dissolve that marriage.
2: Right. And and so, and I, and I, unfortunately, I think that's one of the weaknesses um, from holding that position too. Uh, I think you're articulating that well. If we allow the government to be the one who says this is what defines when you're married, then along with that, we've also given them the the capacity to say, and this is when you're no longer married. But the Bible doesn't do that. The Bible right. says marriage is for life, and there's only um, really two biblical pictures of. Uh, from my perspective, some people make uh, a third one, but for me, from my perspective, there's only two biblical pictures for uh, uh, um, legitimate reasons for for uh, divorce, the the dissolving of that marriage, and one is a a abortion, I mean, abortion. One is um, um, adultery, and the other one would be uh, the. Uh, an unmarried spouse wanting to leave um, an unbelieving a, spouse. A, an unbelieving, yeah, I said that, um, I said the wrong thing, sir. The unbelieving spouse wanting to leave the married, uh, the, the believing spouse. Right. So sure. that being said, those are the only two real biblical uh, positions that were given. And so we, um, if it's an inst- if it's instituted by God, He's the one who makes the rules. He's the one who sets the institution and and gives the parameters by which it's uh, it functions and w- and by which it can be dissolved. He's the only one who can do that. So they can't determine the state can't determine when you're married nor when you're no longer married. And I think that's the weakness. We've given that over to the church. I mean, given that over to the state to, to some extent.
1: Right.
0: Can I? Let me ask one question that's really helpful. Um, what would be some benefits to having this? Are there benefits to having the government um, officially recognize and, if we want to use the term, validate a marriage publicly are there any benefits or would we say that I think the what you guys have just articulated is it's not necessary um, in order for a biblical marriage to be a real marriage. But are there any benefits to that?
1: Well, let's let's go back and say this. I think that it ought to be said that the argument for a believer to get a marriage license or a believing couple to get a marriage license would be because God has ordained government and instituted it. And so then it, it's not a sin mm-hmm. to get a marriage license. And then there's, there are benefits, I think, because God has ordained government, because government is given the responsibility, though we all can ex- have a conversation about how they don't do this, but the mm-hmm. responsibility to care for the citizens that the government right. is responsible for um, should require or by necessity requires some organization, some um, stipulations about who's married, who's Mm -hmm. not, how this person is cared for because they're married or how this person is cared for because they're not married, how those marriages, um, when death does do them part, how do those um, benefits come to the survivor of the marriage. And so government then, I think there's some benefits for it. And
2: we want to be quick to say it's not sinful to get the license. Yeah, there's there's civil benefits, like you just said. Yes, it's not sinful. And the third thing, um, at least from my perspective, is it is it, to some extent, and I think you hinted at this, a concession to and 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 um, and what I would say, uh, uh, um, what should be at least in the current situation in which we find ourselves living under. The, the type of government and the structure in which we live in the situation we find ourselves in right now, which would be different than what they might have been 150 years ago or what they might be 150 years from now. But the situation we're in now, why wouldn't you avail yourself of that opportunity and that way um, you not only satisfy um, – Uh, the demands of god and and the covenanting but also uh, that um it looks we we don't want any appearance of evil right Right. so it gives that we're conceding and we're submitting to um government even though uh, in a real sense they may have overstepped their bounds a bit thinking that it's their place yeah i think
0: that's helpful jason do you have anything follow up from that well
2: i would
1: just say you know we would do this to the point that it didn't contradict God's word. Yes. That
0: yes, and that's where I was I was thinking about myself there or thinking myself is with these situations and our relationship with the government. They're always they can be really tricky because everyone draws different lines. Mm-hmm. And so so, mm-hmm. helpful
2: or ideal might be good words to say. It would be sure. helpful. Wise, it's ideal. Maybe wise. Wise, but um, um, necessary may not be the yep, right word. Sure. But yes.
1: Well, I was going to use the word reasonable. Is reasonable, it reasonable? There you go. Then, Recom-
0: then, then, I would recommend this. Yes. Is it necessary? No.
1: Right. That's good. So, right. So, then what constitutes biblical marriage in God's eye does not require a. License from the government, we would say biblically.
0: Correct. It's Correct. not wrong to seek that. Correct.
1: Okay, so then the second category that we talked about was that God would consider a man and woman married when they've completed some kind of formal wedding ceremony. So let's talk about that aspect a formal wedding ceremony. And I think we have plenty of um, examples of a formal wedding ceremony in Scripture. Um, certainly we have um, Genesis chapter 24. We've got the formality of Abraham's servant going and getting Rebecca for Isaac. And then finally, you, you see in the last verse of that chapter, the consummation of that marriage between uh, Rebecca and Isaac. But there's been all of the formality of the servant and going to the parents and asking the girl to come and all of those details that are you read there yeah. in Genesis 24. What
0: about the parables of Jesus? There's plenty of times he references a wedding party, a wedding ceremony, um, the bridegroom. Yes. These are all ceremonial terms. We have in, in Revelation the marriage supper of the Lamb, right. the consummation of all things in Christ.
1: We John are, 2. We
0: are, the church is called the bride of Christ. He is our... Um, we are wed to Christ, right? right. Um, so,
1: so, so John two, the, John two, Jesus is uh, yes. attendance at the wedding great, in Cana. Yeah, yeah. So the the point being that he is um, approving; he's not certainly disapproving, but approving of this formal wedding ceremony of this couple. So I think that uh, I think of necessity. Maybe necessity is a strong word, but I think that at the very least, one of the things that we can biblically point to repeatedly is that a public wedding ceremony would be commendable yeah would it I would think it show
0: responsibility and show maturity on the part of the person getting the ceremony to say we want this to be uh as um, this is me as a millennial, legit <laughs> as, as we can be, to make this. We, we don't want to do anything behind closed doors. We want this to be um,
2: pure in the sense
0: that it helps to add purity to the Yeah, to I, the think it's,
2: I think practically it's helpful, um, and not only um, in the, the legitimacy of the, the view of it, right? Because mm-hmm. ultimately um, uh, people don't make it legitimate or illegitimate, um, but the, the way it's perceived, Yes, it's helpful there. It's also helpful in the sense as as we talked pre uh, in a a few minutes ago, that it's also helpful in the sense that um, it allows for your friends and loved ones to um, to hold you accountable. To this covenant that you've made, right? You have someone to come along beside you and say, "Hey, brother, um, you're you're not fulfilling your vows, right?" Or to come along and say, "Sister, look, you're not um, you're not doing what you're supposed to do." There's a sense in which this public uh, ceremony not uh, not only legitimacy, legitimacy, legitimizes it if that's the right word um, in in um, culturally right it gives it um, uh, some kind of substance or weight, but it gives us um, people. That can help hold us to the the gravity and the the import that uh, that the covenant itself carries with it.
0: Yeah, and and point us to on that line of thinking. Point us to how that images uh, what we see in uh, Ephesians five, where we see Christ as the head of the church and church discipline, and how a church covenants together and, this and joins is, together. Yeah, with
2: this is really interesting, at least because I think this is where. If we're not careful, we might think that then only marriage could be legitimate between two Christian people versus um, uh, maybe not two non Christian people. That's a good point. That's a good point. Because, I mean, it does speak to um, the marriage pictures um, the covenant um, and the relationship, the redemptive relationship between God and his church, right? Paul tells us that in Ephesians chapter 5. But what's really interesting is since God is the one who instituted marriage and marriage is that picture, then that means that this covenant relationship is obligatory, whether you're in Christ or outside of Christ, to represent in that covenant relationship that picture. So this is why I think that unbelievers have legitimate marriages and believers have legitimate marriages because ultimately the marriage is a covenant between two people, saved or unsaved, and never the, and along with that covenant... Between those two people comes obligations to to live out a picture, a redemptive picture that uh, that is uh, given uh, particularity in Ephesians sure. five, where we see sure. Christ uh, and His people.
0: Yeah, and you would, uh, Jason. I'll come right to you in just a moment. But just thinking through this as well, if we expand the view of the marriage and uh, being uh, either believers or unbelievers being married, being obligated to follow God's Institution of marriage, and His commands. If we just uh, zoom out a bit, we would say that all unbelievers are still under the obligation to obey God's standard of perfect righteous and righteousness and holiness. Yes. And we see that in Romans chapter one and Romans chapter two. Right. So that applies uh, immensely to the marriage,
2: the marriage ceremony, or the marriage uh, institution. Excuse me. But it also helps define what marriage looks like. That's true. Both in in. Christian unions and non-Christian unions. Mm. That means that even in a non-Christian union, the husband is the head of the home and the wife is to submit to her husband, right? I mean, there's still, it still defines for us. It means that the man is supposed to give himself up for his wife, right? And his wife is supposed to willingly submit. I mean, there are things that, that, that are defined for us in marriage that are not up for grabs, and that aren't um, only legitimate in the union of two believers, and not legitimate in the in the realm. This is why um, making up our own vows and deciding that what our marriage will look like is an illegitimate claim. God is the one who's instituted marriage. He's the one who who obliges men and women to their roles. In marriage, because it ultimately represents something um, eternal. Exactly. Is that, right. Does that make sense?
0: Yes. Exactly right. I think that was helpful, Jason. Do you have anything to clarify or add there, or help?
1: Well, us? Uh, let's talk about the discipline piece because you ask, how does this then connect with church discipline? And it goes back to the accountability. A public wedding ceremony says to these witnesses. We are committing ourselves to the, one another. This man, this woman, and your witnesses to this, and you hold us accountable to this. Now, ultimately, we know that it's a a vertical accountability that they're accountable before God, but nevertheless, those human witnesses are to come alongside, help, just in help, just as we see in the church. Baptism is a public ceremony that says, I am now a member of yes. the body of Christ. Good point. And uh, I'm going to choose to be affiliated with this local church, but I'm a member of the body of Christ. And now all those who are members of the body of Christ, particularly, again, within the confines of this local church that I'm going to submit to, you hold me accountable. So then the discipline is there. So I'm thinking that the marriage ceremony in a, in a formal sense, is a good thing. What we want to be careful, though, is realize that social details don't legitimize a marriage. Don't make it right. a marriage in God's eyes.
0: Jason, say that one more time. Be, be crystal clear. I think that's really helpful for our listeners.
1: I was saying that social details don't legitimize a marriage. They don't constitute what is a biblical
2: marriage. Yes. So all of the trappings around marriage. Nor do they delegitimize a marriage. On the they, other they, side that is that.
0: an authority that is, is non-existent.
2: <laughs> yes, that's right. Right,
1: But what does do that mm. is the covenant that is made between the man and the woman mm-hmm. right, within the formality of the ceremony. So when yes. those vows, and yes. you referenced this just a moment ago, Philip, when those vows are spoken, and this is what I emphasize when I do a marriage ceremony now, um, I, I say, now we've come to the most important piece Um, that you um, can possibly have during this ceremony. I think covenant uh, relationship has already taken place, actually. That that
0: would be my position.
1: Right. And so now we're formalizing that. And then after the formalization before public witnesses, we're going to consummate that. Mm -hmm. And so you do have this order that's laid out for us, right? Right. I think so. And so the most important piece then is this covenant relationship that I've covenanted with you. You've covenanted with me. We are going to promise our love to one another. We're going to pledge ourselves to one another. Now let's go formalize this in front of witnesses, and then we'll consummate it. And so, again, um, when just as we said that getting a marriage license isn't a sin, and why not pursue that? Um, if the culture deems that necessary, why not? Pursue a formal marriage ceremony. Yeah,
0: yeah, and I would say, you know, listener, when you're hearing us discuss these things, don't uh, pl- please don't hear us and say that this is a capitulation to the culture. This is just a it's a it can be a helpful thing. There can be benefits to it, but um, at, at, to what Jason just said and Philip, I'll, I'll let you speak to that in just a moment. We should go to that third um, characteristic. Or possibility. Yeah. Um, but we, we want to be clear that there are some things that are helpful as you consider marriage, uh, socially, um, civilly, um, uh, communally, within wherever you live, uh, state or, or whatever, and pursue those things um, if, if at all possible,
1: As long as they're not, as long as they're reasonable, and as long as they do not violate God's standards. That's right. God's
0: God's word is supreme in those decisions, or ought to be supreme in those decisions.
1: So the Bible has made for us the statement, really, what constitutes a biblical marriage um, is, number one, is between a man and a woman. Mm -hmm. Number two, it is um, that you shall leave your father and mother and cling to one another. Yep. That yep. That's the only parameters. That's
0: repeated a couple of times in Scripture. That phrase is that you show, it, it's Genesis 2, Genesis, is that correct?
1: Genesis 2 and Matthew 19. Yes. Um, and, and, and also, I think it's in Mark 9, but I'm not sure about that one.
0: Okay, it may be in 1 Corinthians 7 as well, possibly. I could be mistaken there. Yeah, I but should have looked that
1: up before we yeah, came on. We're, we're,
0: we're flying off the top of our heads here. Right. Uh, but let's go to that final section. And, and as we're wrapping up, we have... Uh, five or seven more minutes we can dedicate to this particular topic. I think this has been a helpful, helpful discussion. Jason, would you bring us to that final and third? And we kind of already were talking about it a little bit, but
1: right. So we said number one that if we think about marriage being uh, biblically uh, constituted by God or being uh, recognized by God, it would be um, as the culture would say, receive a marriage license secondly the culture would say engage in a formal ceremony and I think there's biblical precedent for that too so we could we could say that with good conscience but number three um, God would um, um, c- consider a man and a woman married when they had sexual intercourse mm. and so that's a that's a, a, a argument that's out there in culture but we've already had sex so let's
2: yeah. Let's just count us as Mary.
0: Yeah. Philip, do you want to speak to that? Just as we, I don't think this one needs near as
2: much no. treatment. Two, two, <laughs> two problems again with this uh, yeah. from, from uh, I think, from my perspective. Uh, first, um, the Bible has a category for sex outside of marriage, and it's called fornication. So as long as that category exists biblically, then we can make the argument that two people having sex doesn't constitute marriage. Right. Okay. Right. Right. Um, to unwed people having sex is called fornication in the Bible. So, so we can. The, the other thing would be that um, just if two people got married and were incapable of having sex, right? Something physiological going on, right? Um, whatever um, would that invalidate the marriage? And I would say absolutely not. So though though it's ideal. Obviously, for a marriage to be consummated and that one flesh union to be, to ma- to be made um, a, a realization, right, and, sure, and ideally sure. for um, a young couple to then go and have babies and all those kind of wonderful things that, uh, and see the fruit of that union and all that kind of stuff, they, they do not a marriage make. Right? So having sex doesn't sure. make you married and not having sex doesn't make you unmarried. Sure. True, so true. that would be the two things I would have to say. Yes. First Corinthians 6
1: speaks to this idea of fleeing sexual immorality. Mm-hmm. So the body is not meant for sexual immorality but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ And make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? Mm -hmm. For as it is written, the two shall become one flesh, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom... You have from God. You are not your own for you have been bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. Right.
2: There, there, you just made the argument. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So, and
0: so I think that's very helpful. That's it, It's pretty cut and dry on this mm-hmm. point. There's two categories that, that God either permits or prohibits sexual relations with uh, between individuals. Mm-hmm. It's either within the bounds of marriage under a covenantal relationship between them mm-hmm. and God or it's fornication yeah. and it is sexual immorality. Right. Um,
1: so, how would we want to just summarize it and follow it all up and, and end the the episode,
0: Philip? Why don't you give us your best shot here at a summary uh, uh, yeah, statement? Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna put you on the hot seat here. Uh, help us. You know, us. I'm not a summarizer. <laughs> um,
2: I'll do my best. Here's I'm what messing. I would say. Here's what I would say. Go I ahead. would say. That um, if the opportunity arises and and you're going to get married and you can get a marriage license, I'd say go for it. Go get one. um, uh, uh, Please the state in that situation and um, uh, please your, your friends and neighbors and all those kind of people. Don't give any reason for them to call into question the legitimacy of this union. Right. Go get a license. But um, if that doesn't happen, or if it does, either way, what is what is important? What is important is that you come together with um, a group of people who can hold you responsible and recognize that ultimately what you're, what is transpiring in this covenant ceremony is you are making a covenant between two people to become one union before God. And it's a vertical commitment. And God is the one who institutes and, and legitimizes marriage ultimately. And He is the only one who can dissolve one, right? So then... After that, go if if possible, consummate that marriage and and um, and and make that one flesh union a reality. And um, if you're young and, and phys- phys- physically capable, um, enjoy the fruit of of that union with children. And um, this is, uh, you know, and um, but what makes a marriage is that covenant relationship between two people and God. And ultimately, um, though um, there are ideals for for you know, um, you know, the license, um, the the ceremony, the 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 sexual union, um, none of those things a marriage make ultimately. What ultimately makes a biblical marriage is a covenant between two people and God, and it is for life.
0: Sure. Um, I I was just thinking through one 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 area that may be helpful for someone listening to this episode specifically would be, what would we say, Jason, can you give me a minute or a minute and a half? What would you say to a person who is single currently um, with maybe a discouragement with the future, with maybe not being able to foresee marriage in their near future? And they, maybe they desire it. Um, you know, what there there are some out there that mm-hmm. um, this sort of conversation would maybe bring some discouragement to them because mm-hmm. maybe they're maybe they're older or something like that, and or maybe there's, marriage is not a possibility for them at the moment. Mm-hmm. Is there any encouragement for them?
1: Well, upon hearing this, ultimately marriage is a, a means of grace for the the people that are involved in it. Um, if someone for For various reasons isn't involved with the marriage then other then God's got other means of grace for that person because the goal is not mar- marital happiness, the goal is christ likeness mm-hmm. and so um, patience um, obviously one who um, is longing to be married and um, is not having the opportunity immediately. Just has to wait and trust that God, in time, will bring that about. And even if He doesn't, then He's got other means of grace that He's going to bring into your life. And so, uh, learning to be content with that. And I know it's easy for me to to say these things because I'm happily married. But at the same time, um, that's what I would say. Um, yeah, you, you can't uh, you can't force the issue. Sure. And you have to be um, willing to submit to what God's timing is and trust that he's he knows what's best.
2: Well and yeah, and, and the fact is is um, we're made complete in Christ, not in, not marriage. in marriage. And so Amen. That's think, that's, so. that's an
0: excellent way to end things. Well, thank you so much, listener, for for listening in today to this episode. Thanks for taking the time um, to listen to the Asking for a Friend podcast. We sure hope that it has been a blessing to you. Please take a minute to like and share this podcast with someone you know, maybe on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or wherever else you are on social media. And don't forget that if you ever have any questions for us that you'd, be, uh, you'd like for us to attempt to answer on an episode, you can go to our website, bbcemory.org, and go to find the Media tab. Scroll all the way to the bottom of the page, and you can enter a question into the question box, and that'll reach us. But until next time, grace and peace be with you all.